Hey everybody, welcome to the Gamal as Well podcast. I'm going to be talking about uh, the things that keep me well. So I'm going to kind of go in reverse order here. Let's start with some SGI, Soka Gakkai International stuff. I'm a member of a Buddhist organization and I just went to a meeting tonight. So we had actually uh, one of the national leaders there. His name is Aiden Strauss. Real nice low-key guy, a uh, very nice speaker. And um, the thing, one of the takeaways I wanted to talk about for me was um, someone asked him about, I think the question was exactly, can you explain karma? And I think we had like five minutes left in the meeting. And uh, so I think he got it in in about eight and a half or ten. So the thing was um, that that really stuck with me was just that if you boil it all the way down, the, the Nichiren Buddhist understanding of karma is basically that it's i would i'd mush it into it's an inspiration tool so of course we have a tendency to label something as good or bad or somewhere in between maybe neutral and um but i think the the main point is that we're we're trying to look at everything good bad or otherwise as some form of especially if it's bad or neutral as some form of inspiration or something that we can change and not that we need to change it per se but we can choose to to apply some effort to change it so when I was going through some or just you know dealing with some stuff in life and just really couldn't understand I was really focused on like why is this happening to me like why and part of the reply that came from some of the elders in the organization and just way more experienced folks was that you know so eventually part part of one way of looking at it is is that part of it is when you're past this rough patch and you will get past the rough patch is that you'll be able to use that experience to help other people get through their rough patch which to be honest at the time is not especially and not an especially useful or fulfilling or calming answer um I think one because it's just not what you want to hear and then two is you're in the middle of something and so it's just it just doesn't feel like helping someone else is not what you feel like you want to do you want to help yourself feel better so um but I think in the end you know I'm not in any particular rough patches right now so it's quite easy and straightforward to see that to understand a rough patch in life that way that you know now that I've been through that or experienced that or overcome that I can help someone else in the future that may need help with that um and you know and that feels like a good thing um and worth it especially now that you're past it and looking back on it so that was one thing and something that Aiden didn't say that I think could have been added on to what he said at the end is that um well actually someone another question that someone asked him was about you know how do you chant or or how is what you chant about changed over the years because he's been practicing for quite some time uh certainly uh, longer than i've been alive so he's uh, so i think he said it was like 76 when he started chanting and i think he was maybe 24 i think he said at the time and so he said the nature of what he's chanted about over time has certainly changed and uh certainly experienced hardship and and loss of loved ones and just like everybody else right um and so he talked about chanting and having goals and sitting down at the, you know, he typically does it at the beginning of the year and setting up some goals for family, for work, uh, for loved ones, you know, for things having to do with family and loved ones. 
Um, and so I think what I wanted to add personally that I I always find helpful is I try to think everything out intellectually and that there's not a lot of distinction made between an intellectual sort of figuring and then an intuitive sort of figuring. So, and I think that there's, and I think that those are, it's a very important distinction to be made. And what I mean is that when I'm chanting or really when I'm in a spiritual place in general, I'm trying not to be too intellectual. Like I'm trying not to think too much. So if I'm meditating, um, I'm certainly not, I'm not trying to not think. I'm just noticing when I'm thinking actively about something. I'm distracted by something. And when I'm actually actively relaxed in my, you know, my, probably my brain waves, I imagine are significantly, significantly like less active. So, um, and the, and really what I want to point out is, is, is just that when I'm chanting and I really feel like I have a goal, I'm really just focused on the outcome and I'm not focused at all on how that outcome will occur. And I think that that is maybe a tendency that a lot of people struggle with because culturally, generally around the world, as I understand it, in modern times, we place a lot of emphasis on the intellectual side of things and, um, you know, sort of how educated someone is and just how much they know about something versus how much they feel about something. <laughs> and granted, feelings can can be subjective, and I, I guess they are inherently subjective, but I think that culturally we've sort of stomped out our ability to intuitively feel and understand things. And the more I am reading about that in, the, in a, Martha Beck by, a book by Martha Beck, um, I think it's called Finding Your Way in a Wild New World, um, is, is exactly about that. And just about once you start to understand that you can use your intuition and learn to rely and under rely on your intuition more and understand your own intuition more, um, that it becomes a, an exceptionally useful tool. But until you start to understand the difference between your intellect and your intuition, you can really jumble and mush those things together and start and, and take other people's ideas and mush that in as well. And then it becomes exceptionally difficult to, to figure out what is what are your original ideas and thinking and emotions and feelings and what has been sort of planted in your ear or in your in your mind about uh, about something so um and i think that for me that's what the chanting really helps with is to understand what my truth is and my intuition is and how i feel about something versus how culture says i should feel about it or how a team member on a project said, thinks i should feel about something um so and and in that way by in in certain ways being quiet but also being loud about it to my own self um i come to feel more confident in in my own understanding of how i feel about something so anyways all that's to say is that it's not someone had said to me at some point when i walked into an sgi meeting that you know what you're what you're doing here is not an intellectual thing it's an it's an intuitive feeling practice and once and I heard that probably three times in three days or something like that. And so it, it stuck with me since then. So I just think it's important to realize that, that there's a difference between your intellect and your intuition and that they're both important and useful at different times. But it's a practice to understand what is what and when.
So that's my bit on SGI for this week. Although I'll say earlier, actually last week, I asked a question that's going to go into my next segment about Kriya Yoga and finding a, a, a more prescriptive, less freeform type of path into studying spirituality and becoming more spiritual um, and understanding these things more deeply because I felt like I was looking for a way... All right, still working with the tool. Sorry about that, got cut off. Anyways, talking about Kriya Kriya Yoga in general is something I learned about at the Lake Shrine or the Self-Realization Fellowship Lake Shrine in the Pacific Palisades. And so I went to an intro talk uh, on the suggestion, or what really I went with my girlfriend, Anna, and um, basically what I came away with is that it's more or less a prescriptive path to help enhance your spiritual practice and I believe it's mostly meditation and breathing techniques um, established by Paramahansa Yogananda who is the founder I believe of at least of the Lake Shrine I'm not sure if he's the founder of the entire SRF anyway so what I found interesting the big thing beyond I found it interesting and I want to read the lessons for myself I believe that they take about eight, eight months and I forget what happens after that if you're a member at SRF. But it seems like in general, once you've done those eight lessons and then you do some other thing that I'm not quite clear on, you basically become like a for realsies member of SRF in the way that when you get a Gohonzon um, in SGI, you're effectively affirming that, yes, I want to take this seriously and pursue this with my life and ultimately become happy and a better person, etc. So um, so it, it was an interesting construct in that I f- was re- what it helped me realize is that SGI, to my knowledge, doesn't really have a similar thing, meaning that there's not any sort of formalized prescription of, okay, we'll read this and then take this thing, this test, and then you know, do this next set of stuff and then you're, you will find that you're well on your way into being, you know, deeper into, into Nietzsche and Buddhism. And while I do very much appreciate the freeform, pretty loose shoes, low stress quality of SGI, among its many other qualities that I really appreciate, um, there are times when I feel like it, it would be nice to have a just, you know, just to, to be able to look at some piece of paper or something to understand a bit more about the, in the entire framework of the thing as well as just where I'm at on the path. And it, not that I'm trying to be farther along or anything like that, but just sometimes you feel like you need a roadmap of some kind. And so anyways, the reply I got in that meeting when I asked this in, an, in last week's SGI meeting, district meeting, um, Uh, The reply was basically that, well, there is something like that, perhaps not as formalized, but there are specific bits of Gosho that you could read first. And of course, there is an SGI intro exam uh, that I took more than a year ago. I think at this point, it was quite straightforward, quite easy to understand if you've gone to, you know, five or six even introduction meetings, much less a district discussion meeting. So... Um, but then they said that there were, uh, I think, three other tests that you can take at some point. I don't know what the name of them are or what the body of stuff I would study is to to study for those tests. 
Um, but, you know, I've, so I've obviously got some follow-up to do. So it was, you know, kind of nice to know that there is something perhaps not quite as, I'll say, maybe in-depth or as uh, metered as, or measured as Kriya Yoga is at SRF. But um, so my immediate suggestion is, well, maybe we should give it a name. You know, in SGI, if we have sort of a, this is sort of the intro sequence or like the beginner level stuff you probably want to know before you start stacking more blocks of knowledge on top of that. So um, I'll find out more about that and report back, of course. So um, Also, I went to something called Evening at the Lake at SRF, which is sort of the young, the young folks group, uh, the 18 to 40 type group, um, and just taking some time to go and meditate at different, in different ways um, around the lake. So we went uh, into this sort of like boathouse, or rather it's a houseboat, not a boathouse. And um, we just meditated just for 15 minutes and then we walked around the lake over to a patch of grass and it was a walking meditation, which is something still pretty new to me, but I'd done over at Insight LA in East Hollywood. And, you know, it's, it's just about bringing attention to your steps and, um, you know, as you're taking the steps and just paying attention just to what the feelings are in the body. And I really like that about that there is that aspect of meditation that seems perhaps a bit lost on SGI folks is not that they downplay or speak ill of meditation or anything like that, but um, definitely they're proponents of the chanting. And so, um, but I think what that doesn't necessarily give you as as any particular body awareness in a way that a walking meditation does. Um, And yeah, and just, yeah, I think creating that body awareness is, has for me more recently been a, a, a fairly critical aspect of becoming more spiritual and just understanding my body as a, as a really delicate and precise signal receiver of sorts, uh, just learning how to work the button still. And that's to me what all these spiritual tools are for us to kind of learn how to work you know, learn how to tune the buttons of life, I suppose, um, and my responses to it, etc. So anyways, I thought it was just an interesting construct, the Kriya Yoga thing, and just nothing I'd come across at SGI. So I'm always kind of cross-comparing just to see how one can inform the other. And just, you know, one of the things I do appreciate about SGI is its willingness to grow and change and to respond to the needs of people, uh, because it understands that that is its purpose is to serve people and help people become happy. So um, and, and SRF is the same thing. It's trying to help people become happy. And I, you know, re- equally appreciate that both exist and that that is the aim of both things. So um, let's see. So in the next segment, I'm going to talk a little bit, little bit about a quickly about a sound healing that I went to at the church in Ocean Park. Okay, wait, actually one other thing I wanted to say about Kriya Yoga is that I went and looked it up on the website as I was trying to describe it to a friend at, at some point in the week. And um, on on their website, it says in this you know kind of cool uh, cursive-esque handwriting, it says Kriya Yoga, the royal technique of God realization, which I thought was just um, over the top in, in the best way possible. Um, so I just wanted to mention that I texted that to Amir as well. He thought it was hysterical. Um, so, okay, so the next segment um, went to a sound healing with John Paul Creamy, I think is his name, C-R-I-M-I. 
and um, I've been to sound baths before. There was a gong involved with this one. Uh, the ones I went to previously, a couple were held by a friend of mine, Matthew, um, who goes by Lo Fang, really talented and skilled is the better word, artist, um, and, and does sound healings, which is, I, I think his one of his was the first one I'd ever gone to. So not a lot of speaking in his, but in the one I went to more recently, um, John Paul had a, you know, a nice intro and explained about how he used to be a very, very, very angry individual driving around here in LA. And um, at some point was invited to go to a sound bath of sorts and um, and was able to, to find a way to let out a lot of the weight he'd been carrying around, emotional baggage and such. And um, I think he found himself in a training pretty soon after that one I think maybe went to a few other sessions and then eventually found himself in a training to to become a a, a professional uh, sound healer and um, so you know you're you're definitely given permission to to cry and to and, and to feel things and to you know at one point there's sort of a coordinated yell yell yelling session for a minute I guess you'd call it um, but most, much more of it is uh, he's playing music fairly loudly. We're, we're actually in a church, so that in the church at Ocean Park is what it's called, and in Santa Monica. And um, you're laying down. Uh, I actually happen to be on the stage. That's no sort of privileged backstage kind of thing. It's like that. Those are the last spots left when we walked in. And um, yeah, you're you're laying down and you're doing a sort of double inhale, single exhale, but it's less of an exhale, more of a just let the breath go. So you're not really pushing it out at all. Um, so you're inhaling into your belly and then inhaling into your chest and then just exhale. Just but really just like kind of a automatic let let it go exhale. And you're doing that over and over and over and over again for the better part of an hour. And yeah, you, you're almost certain I can tell you what I felt I'm not going to tell you what you're going to feel I felt a tremendous tingling in my hands and forearms as well as my face especially my nose and uh, like my sinuses in particular um, and I, I was tearful for just just a bit not uh, not as much I don't think as some of the other folks in the room um, but yeah I think being sort of flooded in sound like that is creates some kind of safety along with the breathing certainly but um, certainly for me the audio of it helps you feel sort of uh, sort of just flooded and covered in sound and so you I think you feel more okay to really go for it with the breathing and, um, and you know if you, and if you become uh, overwhelmed with emotion you feel completely fine just letting all of that out and I think that's exactly the purpose of that so um so you know so that was that was you know just adds to the stack of of good things uh you know that that have their healing effect um and the other thing I wanted to talk about uh in this segment is just things I haven't I don't do too often is a, a dance event less of a dance event and more like a dance it's not really I would, it's like a anyways it's called five rhythms it was at the electric lodge in venice and it's i was thinking for whatever reason and how it was described to me again something i went to with anna for uh, sort of as a birthday gift to her uh, she's way into dance i am 
interested in dance, mostly from a visual standpoint, and that unless from a I want to really do that, but um, but basically this is think of it like a yoga class, but for dance. And so actually one of the the nice aspects that Anna described to me was that it's it's a way to move your body and not feel you know in an active way not in like a yogic smooth kind of way per se but just to basically to be dancing without it being like a mating ritual and i think for a lot of people you know when you go out to a bar or to a club and you're dancing it's like that's usually why people are in there is to find a person to take home that night or to have a longer relationship than that with and but usually it's it's about like a physical attraction and like pe- two people coming together in some way or other um or at least that is often the undertone and i think for some people it just doesn't feel especially safe but this in contrast is very much like a class and like there were just there were you know older folks in there there were younger folks in there um and yeah you could the, you were just encouraged to to move to an almost an interpretive dance i don't want to call it that to make someone not go to this but in a way where like you know it wasn't about looking good it wasn't about like having moves uh so for for me not growing up dancing not having parents that really danced or anything like that you don't have much of a construct of what it's for what it's not for so um there's definitely the first few minutes i you know i kind of moved around a bit and then there was a distinct period of probably another five minutes where i was just like not pouting or anything like that but just I wasn't really feeling it I guess is what I would say or I just didn't feel inspired to move um and I I will say that the musical selections I've heard none of it before but I did enjoy most of it um but just because I like music doesn't mean I want to necessarily move to it or dance to it um I and also I'll say I consider myself as someone that has rhythm but not really dance moves per se and um I'd say overall by the end of it aside from being pretty darn tired from moving a lot more as the class went on um yeah I I think I I think I got it I think I understood what the what the point was and why people go to do this and why this would be a you know a a completely logical alternative to a yoga class but think of it like going to a dance class but for more of a free-form dance just you know, learning to express and move your body in a different way. Um, so definitely uncomfortable at a few moments for me, because again, it's hard to not, it's hard for me to not think about this as a, are people looking at me? Do they think I suck at dancing? (laughs) You know, but people are doing all sorts of, I mean, think of it almost like, uh, almost like tribal, tribal, what you might think of a tribal dance to look like. It's, it's much more that type of movement than it is about any type of coordinated, pop music related type of situation um so yeah so anyways I, I enjoyed it much more than i thought i was going to or maybe about as much as i thought i was going to but i was glad for that turnaround after i had my my moment of just like Ugh, i don't really feel like i can go much farther with this moment in that class so um so yeah so that was five rhythms at electric lodge in venice and in the next segment i'm going to talk a little about some food i like Okay, so you guys, if you listen, you probably know that I have a small food company called The Instead Company. Quick plug, theinsteadcompany.com, working on some new stuff. 
So in the food segments where I often find myself uh, doing a lot of research, meaning that I'm eating things, looking for inspiration for my own food products uh, just a, a brand i don't know if you've maybe noticed the name it has pretty traditional branding but just keep your eyes peeled it's called lundberg um i think i first came across this brand using their organic brown rice syrup in the be the change cookies when i was making those at the factory and so on hiatus working on a dry mix just you know bug in your ear about that okay so Lundberg farm so then fast forward to maybe two weeks ago I was in the chip aisle you know being devious and then came across at the end of the chip aisle rice cakes and I was like rice cakes those are not what I remember as delicious uh, pretty much at all uh, I just think of flavorless dry warm air but then I saw that I saw then I noticed like sort of this illustration style that Lundberg farms has or Lundberg has and I noticed that they have a tamari and seaweed flavored rice cake. So there's like little green flecks on top of the rice cake and it's, you know, got sort of a salty, almost a soy sauce type of flavor to it is what I discovered once I bit into them. So, and um, yeah, a pretty legit uh, hummus dipper right there. Uh, you might find yourself eating, needing or needing to eat fewer chips as a result of these rice cakes. So definitely check out uh, not at all being uh, compensated for this. I just genuinely thought these were great. The the tamari with seaweed organic rice cakes from from Lundberg. It's got kind of a green green banner on that bag. Um, got them at Whole Foods or maybe I got them at the co-op. I'm not sure. So that was the first. And then also just staying with Lundberg, they also make these chips. They're like rice chips. And the two flavors that I think are really outstanding are the pico de gallo and the I think Southwest barbecue um, got some of those on a walk today actually with Anna and uh, and Leo the dog who's snoozing beside me and um, yeah she was saying that they have like a really satisfying crunch and I think that's a great way to characterize them in particular also I think the way that they season their chips I mean which is with you know flavor spray like just about everybody else i guess um you know the chip isn't like bright orange or whatever other reddish color or something like that like it looks like it's made of rice meaning that it's light in color like it it feels whole and natural you know and Anna's way on to the whole foods plant-based kick as far as how she eats and i'm learning with all my meat all my might rather and um i think for the most part these would classify as that um, and I think I don't think they're organic but they are uh, non-gmo and just to clarify on those rice cakes those are indeed organic and which means that they are by definition non-gmo it's like a Venn diagram anyways so check out those chips but just look for Lundberg in general I think they make high quality products I rock with that brand for sure and the next bit i'm just going to talk a little bit about the first yoga class i ever taught for serious uh if you're still with me thanks i know it's a long episode it's been a minute uh yoga so this week i taught my first ever yoga class after completing yoga teacher training with dan ward 
here in Santa Monica. I've been studying with Dan or just practicing with Dan for um, probably five years now. I think that's about right. And so he's been after me for a while to take his class, uh, to take the yoga teacher training. I did that from January to March. Really enjoyed the experience. Completely worth every penny and every second that I spent doing it. And I did have an opportunity through my friend Maylee to teach uh, a short class before a beach cleanup, uh, which was pretty cool. Very low key. That's my style, if you couldn't tell. And so um, then I got an email a couple weeks ago asking if I wanted to sub for one of Dan's class, classes at Power Yoga East. And it was a 5.30 on a Thursday, I think it was. And um, yeah, it went, it went exceedingly well. I think there were certainly some transitional things that I can polish up, but overall, you know, it felt pretty, pretty natural and pretty easy. There, I'll say only not to trivialize it, but there were uh, five students in the class, and I think I'd seen all of them before at, at either at that class or a similar class at East, and yeah, I mean, I I will say I definitely had notes which were. Very visual basically uh to break down well, all i did was dan taught a really good class that that wednesday before and so what i did was i often record things and so i happened to have recorded that one and so what anna suggested that i do was just make little stick figures of each of the poses you know as i listen to the class and just teach that and so i said yeah okay maybe i'll just do that because it was a good class i enjoyed it and Um, So it was actually a really useful exercise for me to sit down and just draw the stick figures of the whole thing and to sort of build that visual map in my head, Um, which is something I think I'd only done once before and I think with less fidelity than I did it this time. Um, And there are definitely a couple places where I took a little liberty to either add a few things in or I think I dropped just one thing. And, um, you know, so that felt good to kind of make it mine. Actually, one of the students after class asked me if I took or if I practiced with Steve Jones. And I said, oh, yeah, I've known Steve almost probably about as long as I have Dan. And he said, oh, yeah, I could totally tell. <laughs> and I, I assume he meant that in a good way because we both chuckled after. But um, but, yeah, you know, it was nice to be up in front of a class and to start to get more of that sense of, of connection to people. And that, you know, they're legit expecting that I'm a fully practiced yoga teacher and can lead them through 60 plus minutes of of movement. And um, so, you know, it's nice to start to get build that rapport and get that sense of of feedback from people, even, you know, in real time as we're doing something like sort of how hard they're breathing and and how quickly or how smoothly they are or are not transitioning from pose to pose, that kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah, so yeah, overall really fun experience and um, looking forward to doing it some more, I would say. Um, let's see, any other yoga? Do, 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 do. Nope, uh, next little bits about the law of attraction and focusing on the good stuff. Last bit, law of attraction. So basically wanted to talk about focusing on the good the good stuff versus the bad stuff 
Um, if you listen to Law of Attraction, you've probably heard something to the effect of every subject is two subjects, meaning the unwanted version as well as the wanted version of that. So um, if you take the environment as a fairly not neutral subject, but hopefully not too intense of a topic. And so I think the whole point of what I was listening to in Esther Hicks or Abraham Hicks uh, talk on this and the general idea is that if you're talking about the solution of a, of a problem let's say as opposed to the what the problem of the problem is or what the core of the problem is then you can't focus on the problem then you're you're you can't do both of those things at the same time so you have to pick one and what the encouragement is or the the guidance is is to pick the good part of the the better version or the good feeling version so um and i think from an emotional energetic vibration standpoint that's all we're talking about like we can leave for right now we can leave the activism that in the the or the inspired action that follows all this thought work and, and emotional feeling work i'm just talking about the feeling work we can go and actually do and activate things later, but I think it's important to have the the energy and the intention lined up in in the most effective way possible, which is just on seeing the solution that not only did we change our behavior as humans, but we also applied some technology on the on the other side of the pro, of the of the issue to help us to help meet us in the middle of, of our changing of, of our behavior and how we, you know, use resources as humans, as a, you know, or as a species. So, um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's fairly subtle, but I think it's, it's important. And I know, I think my tendency certainly are just it's nurtured into you is to, to, to intellectually think about, well, how do I fix this? How do I fix this? Or how do we as a species fix our environmental problems? But as, as the generic example, um, but I, I don't know that all the, the answers to those to that big, broad question is an intellectual answer. I think a lot of it's intuitive. And I don't know. I mean, I think it's everyone's probably responsibility to change how they behave. But I, I don't know that it's everybody's act like in a scientific kind of way. I don't think it's everybody's responsibility to solve that. I think some people are going to be solving that just through changing their behavior, um, thinking about how they commute. Uh, thinking about the things they consume, etc. And for some people whose actual job job it is to do those, to, to think about developing new materials, how we dispose of old materials, how we close material cycle loops, that kind of thing. Um, I don't think you need to overstress yourself about that. So again, you have to sort of consider what your contribution is and then think about the ways just thinking feeling yourself into like the, the the future forward state of things and just focusing on the solution as opposed to thinking about how bad the problem is and how many years we have left of x y and z let's i wouldn't i wouldn't predict it so hard you know what i mean i would just uh, allow allow a good change to happen just bit by bit by bit by bit um and that raising all of our consciousness will at some point change all of our behavior um and hopefully in the meantime, technology can do a little bit of uh, 
a little bit of help help uh help saving us as well so um definitely most important to as quickly as possible once that problem has been identified that's very helpful and useful but most important to focus on what the solution is and to put your energy and attention there so um, i know it's a tendency not to do so definitely i'll let that happen to me for sure but um, it with each time it happens i can feel that cycle time of when i start focusing on the solution to a problem um, that happens so much faster now than it ever has and so and it's just consistent attention and it just gets better and better and better so um, that's definitely my encouragement is to focus on that future state of solution as opposed to the current state of of disarray or or problem so um, next last little bit is a quick piece on some music Okay, last bit about music. So um, I always throw, uh, I'm trying to throw music in here because uh, Black Thought said that if uh, if lyricism is spiritual to you, then rewind this. And I think I've said previously that, you know, it just had never really occurred to me that certain things, or really that I, I suppose anything could be spiritual. So I try to always acknowledge that. And as a budding lyricist myself, uh, I feel I feel compelled to talk about the things that inspire me. So this week, uh, or at least this episode, I've been listening to a lot of um, an artist named Veda, or Veda Azim. Uh, used to be called King Veda, used to be called Ellie for the Uncool before that. Um, he's got an album out now, it's on Spotify, called 20s Go From Nicks. And uh, there's a track, in, there's several tracks, but uh, the, the one that pops into my head the most is called In. And. Um, it's it starts off pretty quiet and then it, there's a little bit of build up and then you can tell okay we're we're in the the part in the into the track and then he he begins to rap but it's this it's kind of one of those beats that just doesn't really have much bass uh at all and it, it the this the the predominant sound in my head that I take away is is almost like this kind of sound it's it's almost like horns but it's not horns it's almost like a synthesized type of horn and it it, it sounds like uh some sort of medi- medieval type of announcement that something is happening and uh like an arrival of some kind and i think that's uh, i if i had to guess i think there's a group called the 3rd that produce a lot of his tracks and i assume that they did this one as well because there's a lot of tuba in it which is a particular feature of their production that i love and um but yeah, it has this, this very regal, arrival, momentous type of feel. Um, and that's the thing about hip-hop that for me is important is this uh, affirmation of self and that I am am important and that I have something to say. Uh, and this is it, and you're listening to it right now. <laughs> um, so, and, and that's a quality, certainly in hip-hop that I care about, but it, I feel like that comes through in so many of, of Veda's tracks that, um, you know, that it affects me in it his flow comes into my, into my head when I write a lot of stuff. And this, I would say his flow on this track is particularly off kilter until you hear it a few times and you realize exactly where, or well, more exactly where he's falling in the pocket when, um, when he's rhyming stuff. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it just, it stuck with me. I've been writing to it pretty much, uh, pretty much all week. So, um, and I'll read real quick, just the thing that I wrote earlier tonight, as well as the, 
the poem that I wrote when I was in the uh, in the SGI meeting, which I wonder if people <laughs> think I'm actually just drifting off into space and not paying attention. I am. I'm just kind of absorbing it in a different way. But um, I was texting my man Slim earlier, and uh, he said he was coming back to LA tomorrow. So I said to him, um, you know, uh, eventually uh, I'm headed home, a safe trip. I don't even have to hope you make it. It's like I already know what the state is, what the scene is, posting up, bathing in greatness, taking a moment to know that we changed it. The karmic cycle is broken, just watch what we created. Godly what we imagine, the deepest sense of unfolding. Notice the way we say it. Our purpose, it ain't the same as. So, um, yeah, I have to practice that one a little bit more, I think, to really get the cadence down to, to try to do what, what Veda's doing. But for me... Um, it just feels like such a, I'm not big into the blessed, blessing, gift kind of speak, but it, it really does feel like a gift in a certain way to have, to have access to so much art and music that I can, for me, I'm, I feel like I'm teaching myself every time I listen to my favorite artists. Um, yeah, and, it, and the more I start to understand about karma in connection and entanglement and in entrainment i think they call it um you know it 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 feels like heavy in a good way like connected in a really good way um kind of like carrying on a legacy in a way and um oh and speaking of the karma part i i think often about a meeting i was in and someone said you know what karma meaning you know what what marvelous karma we must all have to be in this to have the the time the means the wherewithal whatever to be in this room talking about what we're talking about you know about spirituality in that particular case you know and so I, th I think of it all the time in terms of you know that I have this access to to other people's art to be inspired by and to feel um that that I'm making something for myself to affirm myself so um so yeah, I mean it's just a it's a it's a very uh, satisfying, fulfilling feeling to to be in that place. So uh, you know, I have a lot of appreciation for all the artists that I listen to and just you know, all the whatever they've experienced in their in their life that has made them push out the art that they've pushed out to touch other people. So um so yeah, you know, I hope other people can do the same and and think of everything in their life as 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 that same type of inspiration that can help you create something uh, that that's meaningful to others. So, and that's another thing that, that comes into my head often is like, I don't know what anything I say, or, and I don't, I don't know what of, of what I say, how much of it will affect someone or in what way. And I feel like I can't plan that. Like that just, I don't think that's possible. So, um, you know, so what I heard was may, it was sort of like a, a prayer, which is basically, you know, may these words have meaning just to someone to whoever but to someone um and that's the purpose of of this of speaking is, is that your words is not necessarily to get your point across or like make your point i mean it is to express yourself but um but hopefully also that it that someone else that may hear your words you know finds meaning in them so uh may these words uh have meaning to you and uh be well peace the poem from the SGI meeting the prompt uh, was make amazing history 
So I said, make amazing history, remain not anonymous, proceed specifically. The driving force is unseen, a mystery. Upheaval lifted me, uprooted, the dig is deep. Family without and family within me. Minus forever, a beginner's speech. Thank the guests, change is yet to come, even in the face of threat or in the wake of death. Subverted in verse, 16 letters and four words. In 2018, I walked the earth, and then I saw my suffering is nothing, my life a blur.